Luke is a friend of mine from my college days. He is currently the head of advocacy for Senator Grace Poe. This episode has the distinct honor of being the longest episode I have ever recorded. This is because Luke and I decided to talk about Philippine politics. In this episode, Luke brings to bear his considerable experience and knowledge in the area to tackle the question of how to pass laws that are good for the Philippines. I do hope you enjoy today's episode. Luke, welcome to my podcast. Hi, Rami. Um, I'm Luke, and I'm currently the head for office of. I sorry, I'm currently the head for research and advocacy of the office of Senator Grace Poe. I've been working for her for Senator Grace for around since. Well, I, I well technically I've been working for her since since she first ran in 2013. Yeah, the specific description of my position is kind of. Medyo malawak siya if you if you were to try to describe it. My primary work is really trying to. Um, work with other people outside of government and try to bring those ideas to Senator Grace in a way na parang, alam mo, may, it's PR worthy, may political value. So yeah, that, that's more or less the essence of it. And and today, hopefully, over the course of this podcast, we get to define what political value means for the benefit yeah. of our listeners. <laughs> uh, so uh, let's start with like the most basic question of like, what is your job like? Because you interact directly with the structures of power and you kind yeah. of define the way the laws uh-huh. behave in the Philippines. So what is mm-hmm. what is that like? What does it entail? Um, first and foremost, um, I'd like to disabuse the uh, disabuse any illusions that you know I interact directly with the, you know, with power in itself. I'm not the guy who makes the decisions. I'm the guy who just talks to the people who makes the decisions and tries to guide them. So um, it's pretty scary. It's a pretty huge responsibility on my part because you know if I were not a good person, I could mislead my principal. But at the same time, there's also a lot of pressure on me to to be as balanced as possible. Because of course, you know, on one hand, I do advocate for certain things. There's certain things that I believe in. Now, if there's, you know, if there there was a field of like three or four possible policy solutions, yeah, I'd, you know, I'd recommend this one. But at the same time, I have to be objective and I have to look at the, you know, any policy problem from any from from all of the possible angles and make sure that the one that I'm giving that the, that the solution that I'm proposing, you know, the bill or the budget amendment or whatever. It's always balanced, and it won't hurt. You know, it won't hurt her career in the long term. <clears throat> But are you kind of understating your role? I think a little bit because, like me as a lawyer, technically, when I get a judgment for my client, na favorable, the uh-huh. judgment says na my client won the case. But yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like a lot uh-huh. of the work that goes into whether or not that case wins is probably uh, is probably attributable to me. I'd like to think it's attributable uh-huh. to me, even though theoretically it's not. Mm-hmm. Uh, So uh, if I can just uh, ask, though, because this is something that I really wanted to get someone who's involved in policy uh, on the podcast to ask this question. Yeah. Like, is there like a political philosophy or something that guides you in formulating policy? Um, on my level, um, it's not really a philosophy. It's more of a mental model of how I think about politics. I can't really speak for other people, Deba, on how they think about politics. I'm assuming that some people have, through their experience, gained some kind of philosophy. But for my part, you know, I, I do have some kind of mental model, and it's not really this comprehensive model. I've kind of patched it together from the things that I've read, the things that I've learned over time. So, parang di ba, I started from this base in college. Ini, you know, I took that stuff that was useful. So, yeah, parang ano, parang patchwork. <laughs> it's a patchwork, ano? It's a patchwork model of politics and well, public yeah, policy. Yeah. But but feel free, go ahead. Like this podcast uh-huh. is one of those places where you know we can really get into the weeds on this stuff. So if you p- please, like, feel free to elaborate on what that mental model is, even if it is uh-huh. a bit of a patchwork. 
grabe, I mean, where do I start ang haba? <laughs> Nakita mo naman sa initial response ko. No, <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm, going to, I'm going to try to, like, try to stay as eloquent as what I gave you before. At the core of it, I really believe that the fundamental problem of politics is who gets what, where, and how. That's the, parang that's the classic formulation of politics according to um, one of the in one of the founder one of the main figures in political science in the past, Howard, Howard Laswell. He actually has a book called Politics: Who Gets What, Where, and How. Um, by who gets what, where, and how, it's not just the material resources, but the values. Rin. For example, the rights, whether certain people should have special rights or not, diba? And at the same time, um, you can see uh, the most, ba? Um, the most uh, tangible way to look at the distribution of resources is to look at it from the budget perspective, diba? Um, every year, uh, every year the budget comes to us and we look at the priorities and we say na parang okay, parang medyo mataas yung nilagay mo dito or parang ito malamang hindi, hindi mo naman magagastos yan. So yeah, that's the that's the first part of, of the mental model. Yung struggle, yung struggle for groups um, to get yung resources na yon. And in this model. The state is more or less um, an area for cooperation, but also for contention. So, para nagagawan, may mga negotiation involved in the state. By the state, I mean you know the entire apparatus of you know the executive, the, ex- the Congress, the, and the legislative branch. Basically, the entire thing. We're talking in the abstract, but can you show me a way that this uh, uh, these groups are vying for this for the limited resources of the government, uh, uh-huh. and how that might manifest in a concrete scenario in the Philippines, na lang. Um, for me, the most, the one that I've been most involved in is road space, right? Um, in recent, more or less since the beginning, among the past two or three years, there's, and I, if you really think about, you know, in traffic problem, it's really a problem of who should get what amount of space and what vehicle should be allowed first, right? Um, for the longest time, it's been catered toward private cars. Diba? private cars since so we're going to build more you know, build more highways to accommodate more cars pag dumaming cars magdagdag ulit mga highways but in recent years medyo nagkakaroon ng tinata parang ano nagkakaroon ng movement for inclusive mobility so you have all of these groups who and who advocate for making um cities more pedestrian friendly they, they advocate for more sidewalks they advocate for more diba see and these are the groups who have been pushing for bike lanes so if if you're there in Cebu and if you've seen bike lanes pop up all over the place that's that's part of my work and ano yan, eh, parang it's very contentious kasi ano, on, on one hand, meron pa ng mga people are saying, eh, ang sikip-sikip na nga na mga kalsada natin. Di ba, maglalagay pa tayo ng bike lane. But on the other hand, may point rin naman yung, na, I'm not going to say kung sino nagsabi yun, pero ano yun, um, actual decision maker yung nagsabi nun. <laughs> you can find the quote if you want to. <laughs> <laughs> no, don't worry. I, I don't plan to commit libel either. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Yon, pero at the same time, dun mo makikita yung contentious use. Eh. And the resource that we're talking about is yung space on the roads. And the question of who gets what, where, and how. Um, how, how much space exactly on the roads should we give to bicycle, ano, to people who want to bike to work, who, for people who don't want to own, who don't want to have to, to buy a car and to drive. How much road space should we give to people who ride on the bus? Um, there's also, parang you could also look at it from the efficiency perspective. Most of the time, one car on the road will carry only one person. Right, but mm-hmm. a single bus can carry up to 30 people. Uh, one person and one bicycle, pero malit lang naman yung space na inoccupy niya compared to one car. So may, may mga ganang dynamics, and the struggle for that road space, um, nagmamanifest siya. Sorry, parang nag-es yata. <clears throat> the struggle for that road space nagmamanifest siya. Mainly, um, one of the biggest and uh, is in the budget. 
Kasi parang if you look at the budget right now for of the of the DOTR for the past couple of years, halos ang halos walang budget for ano for for inclusive mobility. And that's why parang in the past couple of years we tried to add ano parang nagtatanggal kami ng budget from here, nililipat namin, naglalagay kami ng allocation for bike lanes. Yan, parang ganun yung struggle. And that's one of the more recent examples that I can think of. Well, so just just to like bounce off a little bit, because actually that's one of the greater indictments of the way that our system is structured, no? So uh-huh. like on my on the first level, my response to the statement of the <clears throat> uh, the bike lane problem or the use uh-huh. of roads problem is really that mm-hmm. like it, it speaks to like the level of representation that our legislature has had, kind of. Because uh-huh. if this <clears throat> if people who had been commuting had been adequately represented in our legislature uh-huh. edi hindi pa to naging problema and mm-hmm. on a second level kasi i'm cebuano right parang even this bike lane and the traffic problem is mm-hmm. more of a ncr thing if you know what i mean yeah uh, <laughs> yes yes it, definitely ana um the when we were discussing yung ano that that, that specific problem it generally it was more focused towards ano to ncr kasi seriously traffic talaga ncr people are desperate for solutions in the in metro manila diba like now maybe you can use the example of traffic or maybe you can use uh, whatever example you want really uh-huh. but like how do you apply that mental model to the problem of policy and policy formulation uh-huh. underneath for example yung ano diba you have the mental model of the distribution of resources underneath that are more or less yung mga tinatawag na power relations yung mga uh, if you have any if if you have any viewers out there who are fans of Michelle Foucault magnander dot say oh my god power relations um <laughs> for example more or less even when you take out yung level of the level of the state may certain inequalities kasi between the people who own cars and the people who own bicycles in terms of parang ano mo yon um mas malakas yung piling bosses to madadinig for the longest time mas malakas talaga yung nagsasalita in favor of private cars so di ba sa labas pala ng state meron nang contention na yon tang equal na sila so really the chance to to, to change the distribution of or the, to change the distribution of resources in those unequal groups is in the state and that's where people like me come in parang i'm the one you know i'm the one who ano who talks to the bike lane people and looks at their solutions and iniisip ko parang ah, para medyo medyo malaking budget na to mahirap paghanap ng real land and then from that from from their proposed solutions i try to find ways to make it feasible technically and and, and then it, it moves forward you know at the end of the day a lot of these a lot of these policy decisions has like dollar and cents implications or i yes. should say probably peso and centavos implications yeah. no Because yes we want to be as much as possible located in our context in the philippines so like what is your idea with regards the like the redistribution of resources in the government and like the way that it's currently being undertaken are you satisfied with the way that resources are being distributed now or uh is there somehow like a failure in the current institutions so mm, and feel free to digress as much as you want um it um i would have to ask for clarification it depends on specifically what resources you're talking about kasi maraming field ng resources parang kung rights iba yung distribution ng rights kung um for example yung ano yung distinct yung distribution of ano between uh, well medyo mahirap we'll have to do we'll have to go more deeper into the conversation yung i think in the email i sent to, I sent to you before is yung ano yung balance between capital and labor what goes into wages and what goes into capital i think that's really one major for me yan yung ano eh, that's one of the biggest um reasons why ano inclusive growth you know, is so difficult to achieve here in the philippines kasi when did by the economic growth blah 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 most of the growth will be siphoned in by capital if you really think about you know the main way that people can you know can participate in economic growth it's through wages and the fact is that wages have not have not moved for the past 10 years meanwhile the economy is growing capital is growing 
so that's you know for me that's one way and you know, that's one major area in which the you know, the distribution of resources by the state and also the the distribution of power outside of the state between capital and labor medio and very unequal again if you go back to the question of the distribution of resources if you're taking taxes away from government diba you may, when we were discussing the create bill yung expected loss from government revenues for the first year alone was around 890 sorry the total was around 890 billion for the next seven years and of that amount around 100 145 billion will be lost in 2021 and 2022 alone during the i sorry during the ano during in the middle of a pandemic so may ano parang may may counting concern ako doon para is that really the best way to use the resources is it really the, is it really a good idea at this point to give the money back of government in the form of additional capital kasi di ba ano you won't be paying that as taxes so i'm assuming na yung yung amount na dapat binayad mo kasi di ba taxes ano eh taxes uh, it, um sorry taxes imposed after ano after all of after all of the operations are ano are deducted so kapag nagtanggal ka ng tax babalik yun sa companies but at the same time since you're taking it out of the government Um, since you're taking it out of the government, you can't give you can't give that in, in 890 million directly to the people in terms of subsidies. Kaya hindi alam eh, na, kaya in the middle of the pandemic nagahanap tayo ng source of funding for ayuda, di ba? And dami ng demand for ayuda. Parang oh, we need additional social social services. Well, too late. We already gave it back to the to the corporations. 890 well, billion rin. And again, second level rin. When you give it back to the corporations, ano yung parang ano yung reassurance that The amounts that you're giving back to the corporations will go to people in the form of, you know, inter- additional benefits or training or whatever. Because yun yung ano eh, that was one of the debates. One of the debates during, if I remember, during the Trump, one of the first Trump tax cuts. Um, yung debate is, what if the companies they get that they get the additional revenue that they that they lost with taxes, they get it back. Lagi nila sa stocks. Wala, wala. Yeah, workers won't get anything, di ba? stock buybacks or ilagay nila in, ano, in a holding company somewhere ano somewhere in you know parang this in the Swiss bank or something like that no benefit to the ano, no benefit to the workers so yun yung ano yun yung parang framework when ano, when we going when we were going into the great debate na parang given the current situation more most likely down the line we're going to need some form of ayuda and given na ang baba ang baba na nga ng revenue collection across all sources Is it really a good idea to, you know, to 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 even to cut down yung ano, to to cut down yung source of revenue even more and give it back to the companies and let them decide? Mm-hmm. Especially considering na yung yung you know that wages and etc. It's hindi siya priority. So yun that, that that that's that's more or less the context. Well, I mean, just speaking from the other side, naman as well, yeah. the uh, potential recipients, because we own a business. So uh, actually, because <clears throat> for us, it made a sense for a very long time to reduce the corporate income tax rate, because there's already so many barriers to Philippine uh, competitiveness. Yes. Probably the biggest, most glaring one was the corporate income tax rate. You know what I mean? Like it just like eh, must uh, like the the labor in Vietnam is cheaper, the labor in Indonesia uh, is cheaper. Yeah. On top of that, the corporate income tax rate is yes, is, yes. is cheaper. So it was yes. like a really big uh, push in that direction. Although the Uh, argument does seem kind of stupid now when the world is shut down like, uh, why is it that we care about what the tax rate was uh, right well of so, course there's an argument rin naman there's an argument naman parang if you look at it from the side of the corporations um syempre you could look at it from the perspective of of trickle down economics whether you believe in that or not is diba i'm not going to i'm we're not going to delve into that but also in theory parang if you give the taxes back to the corporations and it helps them survive for another fiscal year then syempre everybody happy because you know <laughs> 
uh, less people will be laid off. So that's that's another way of looking at the problem. Well, uh, well, personally, like I don't believe in trickle down economics. I think that's like <laughs> a, a complete lie that was fabricated uh-huh. by like large corporations to be able to perpetuate like this tax cuts equals jobs narrative that they have. Uh-huh. No, uh, but. Let's see, for example, I think you you made some really interesting comparisons between the United States and desegregation in your communications uh-huh. to me uh-huh. and how that relates somehow to Filipino politics. you mind uh-huh. expounding a little bit about that? Because that really uh, discusses very well, I think, this power relation uh, of uh, Foucault. Yeah, outside of the state, inside of the state, right? Um, yeah. um, the context of that article, that came from... Um, one of an art uh, that that article was written by this philosopher called Hannah Arendt. Again, an- another one of the no, another one of the, the of the philosopher gods. Sinusudut ko na kada tagal na naman parang more or less certain aspects of her philosophy. Sinusudut ko pa rin etcetera etcetera. And she wrote that essay during the time it was right after the aftermath of Brown versus Board of Education. If you're familiar. Na, because uh, before, diba, uh, sure, uh, I'm, I'm sure that you know, you mga lawyers should be familiar with this at this point. Now, before that, it was Plessy versus Ferguson, it was separate but equal, and then the kapalitan, bawal talaga discrimination, violation of the Equal Protection Clause. There was this school somewhere in Arkansas, Little Rock. Ayon nila, ayon nila yano, ayon nila, ayon nila papasukan yung mga students. I, there, there were like nine of them, or basakon tila handful lang. Ayon nila papasukan, and, and the National Guard had to come in. Para lang ito escorting students into the school. And yung, mm-hmm. yung argument ni Arendt, medyo, syempre medyo, ne, medyo, it doesn't really sound as good now. Pero ang ganda ng argument niya na parang, um, desegreg- parang segregation is just legalized racism. And if you desegregate, you can remove the legal veneer na parang, okay, matatanggal na yung legal discrim- yung, 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 uh, discrimination in legal terms. But yung underlying power relations na parang between these social groups yun yung medyo na yun yung medyo magsi-stay pa rin and in fact hanggang ngayon di ba parang okay natalo sila nung pananinilid ni Johnson ganun pero bumalik ngayon <laughs> back into power yung mga sovereign states well that's actually something that's really interesting to me when i when i was uh, going through the the responses that you had to some of the questions that i sent you know because actually like i don't think i entirely agree with the characterization the racism came back quote and quote because actually uh-huh. like at, at least to the extent that i am familiar with the politics in the united states uh-huh. before you didn't have blue and red states like you do now you actually had purple states in the midwest right mm-hmm. but it was when the civil rights uh, <clears throat> act became an issue that the states became solidly red solidly blue mm-hmm. because parang nagka-consolidation na these republicans are the ones who actually support my opinions and uh-huh. parang yung political support was consolidated in them uh-huh. and so Parang for me, like it's not so much that the racism came back in a big way. It's just the political power went to those who were yes, willing uh, to yeah, continue well, yeah, the act of representation. Yeah, yeah. Actually, yes, tama ka. Medyo, medyo nagkamali ako sa wording ko nun. It's not necessarily the racism that came back, but it's the social forces that favored racism and slavery that you know eventually came back in the long run. Diba? I mean, mm-hmm. you know, um, parang yung, yung this whole debate about whether... Um, that statue of Robert Elian somewhere in the south should it still be there? No, because that guy fought for racism, and then the people in those states they say no, he wasn't. He wasn't fighting for slavery. He was fighting for states' rights, <laughs> And so the social forces they're still there. The in sources of inequality. So even outside of the state, there are mga ganyan naglalaban laban, and it it might it parang the way that they fight, the way that those ano, that the way that those conflicts are manifested, 
yeah, they're manifested through the state. But I'll just take you off on like <clears throat> one little tangent, one yeah. little question that I wanted to ask someone who interacts so closely with power. No, given that you know people will <clears throat> choose politicians who more adequately represent their interests or their values. Like, mm-hmm. to what extent do you think it is permissible for a politician to bend their own uh, moral compass to conform? with uh, the requirements of their constituents. Like, you know what I mean? Like, like say, say, for example, you might not necessarily believe in something 100%, right? Yourself, uh-huh. right? But because your yeah. constituents want it, you vote along those lines. Do you think that that is like a permissible form of politics? Or is that something that, like, is it is it incumbent upon the politician to step aside and let someone else represent? Um, That's actually a very sticky issue for me. Um, I'm not really sure. I, I can't really give a concrete answer. Because it's Um, there's a part of that really wants to say no, that's wrong, yada yada yada. But coming also from their perspective, someone who's been in power and someone who's had to think along these lines. There have been a lot of, there have been a couple of cases, for example, nung uh, nung time nung death penalty sa lo, yeah. sa lower house, and some of them were saying ano parang yes to death penalty kasi gusto ng mga constituents ko, even though death penalty would end up you know with all of the moral and legal implications of ano. So at the end of the day, did the person do the right thing? Yeah. It's kind of a sticky question. Um, one way of answering that, I'm not saying that this is the definite way, is that as, as long as he can get away with it, ano magagawa natin? <laughs> diba? yeah, that's one way. That's one. It's not the definitive way, pero parang that's currently the way that I'm thinking about it. And I don't know, maybe, 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 maybe alam mo yun, parang he did something wrong, right? Morally and blah, but di naman siya na, eh, di ba, yun yung essence ng democracy, di ba? When you define democracy, it's a government where Where, where representatives are held or are held accountable for the actions, and if he's that, and if you know, if he's not held accountable by his own constituents, then what can we do? <laughs> yeah. So, so I mean, just just to show like how incredibly profound your uh, point of view is, like just so that in real, so that my view, my <laughs> listeners can see my own point of view in relation to yours. Just there's uh, a joke that I used to tell people when I didn't know so much about politics is that like <laughs> politicians are kind of like condoms. They're completely artificial, one size fits all, necessary and should be changed frequently. <laughs> Well, yeah, the, the, the application kind of, the metaphor kind of works. <laughs> um, no, but... Um, you can also look at it from the perspective of, um, see, I think it was Kennedy who said that the primary, the, the prize, it was JFK before he became president. He had his book called Profiles in Courage, the primary characteristic of someone in politics is courage. Someone who, you know, someone who has the balls to do something that he knows would be harmful for him. And um, they were on the flip side. They were on the one hand, you have people na parang well, you know, I got I managed to get away with it. But then it also gives us it also gives other other you know other politicians the opportunity to do to be brave and do something. So mahirap eh, di ba? Alam mo yon? May may ganong ano? Parang should we condemn this? But also we wanna reduce the the opportunities for the other thing to happen. I don't know. Sorry, it's really vague. You know, maybe I know maybe for podcast part two in the future. Yeah, yeah, sure. No, uh, but there was this one phrase that I particularly liked in the the things that you sent me. No, yeah. Uh, it was uh, so much of policy, at least in the legislative branch, is like catching lightning in a bottle. I mean, yeah, that's so true. Yeah, yeah. So, do you mind? Do you mind expounding up upon that a little bit? Because I don't want to make it sound like it came from me. It was your idea. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, di ba ando na tayo sa mental model? Ando na the state as the distribution of resources, more or less, ane and stable yun pero minsan nagaaway. And then yung source ng away na yan, nanggagaling sa civil society though, yung away nung, or if you, if you want to put it in the American in the American context, yung people who 
uh, victimized people who are, who are victimized by racism, who are against racism, people who are victimized by it, and people who are in favor of it for whatever reason. But you can't deny that there have also been very historical moments when the tide has changed, diba? And usually, ano yan eh, um, this is where I put another model, which ano, another model on, um, this is where I get yung, so the third mental model, the third level of that, of that model, I kind of got that from two separate thinkers who are basically centuries apart, but in terms of the insights that they have on how on how politics on how public policy changes happen in in a political setting, more or less the same. Eh? Um, on one on the one hand, you have yung uh, public policy writer na si John Kingdon. He has this uh, great book called ano, um, Anarchy. I uh, sorry. Agenda. Some I, I'll, I'll I'll email you the full title. Just like I can't remember it now. But from his perspective, um, public policy has three streams, right? Meron ng problem stream, meron ng uh, policy stream, meron ng political stream. Yung policy stream is this more or less the universe of all the all of the problems that are experienced by society, um, de ba? So everything from traffic to uh, in social unrest, blah blah blah, poverty, climate change, whatever you can think of, lagay mo sa problem stream. Mm. The policy stream is the stream of all possible solutions to all of those problems and their alternatives. Kasi ba, for every problem, hindi lang naman isa lang yung solution. For every problem, there's always probably one, two, three, four solutions. And for each of those solutions, there's probably some kind of group that supports it—an academic group, a think tank, a CSO. Um, some kind of movement, etc., etc. And generally, the criteria for those, well, um, generally the criteria for certain solutions to survive other over others is technical feasibility. Um, so, kalangan it won't bankrupt the government. It's not unconstitutional. It, all of those things. And then, I sorry, tapos uh, in addition to technical, legal, um, it's politically It's politically palatable for ano, for the for the ano, for the people. So, iba yun yung ano, yun yung um, for example. Um, good, good example yung sa RH bill yung tagal bago lumabas yung RH bill mainly because hindi sure kung politically uh, kung politically palatable ba yung, yung solution na yun in a very conservative society and then of course you have yung third level which in third stream which is yung political stream which is yung may bagong manelek may bagong chairperson with this committee alam mo yun and so when at least two of those streams merge together nagkakaroon ng tinatawag na policy window that's when an opening for something happens so that's when a policy for something occurs and those moments literally in a lightning in a bottle yan some policies just need that opening to happen and other policies they never get that opening at all good example of the policies that never get that opening at all FOI FOI because the problem is always there diba because of the perceived problem is corruption government and the perceived and the perceived solution so may problem stream ka the policy stream is to increase transparency in public records, so my FOI. But mainly because because mainly because kulang yung support dun sa political stream, hindi siya And because and because of that, um, if you noticed, FOI initially bill lang siya. There were several versions of the FOI bill, and then all of a sudden, may bigla lang mabas na idea of an FOI executive order. The funny thing about it, hindi hindi na only hindi and it, it wasn't actually the third who proposed that it was an old it was it was an old it was a really old idea from Edong Angara, mga circa 2014 pa. Edong In fact, I can I can even send you yung ano eh, the specific and the specific article where he says that idea. So again, you have the FOI, you have the problem, and then the proposed solution. But because it's not politically feasible, we settle for solution B, and that's what happens. Yeah, but then like so like just just for the benefit of like the listeners, what is the FOI 
at least as it exists now in that EO, as opposed to what sh- what could have been had it been enacted into law. Um, like just, right just so now, we know what we're missing out. Yeah. Um, you mainly the main difference between having an well, I, I'm assuming that the viewers know what FOI is. So I am. Do I have do I have to explain the principles of FOI? You, you touched on it, naman. But if you want, you can expound. Feel free. Uh, basically, FOI. Um, there are certain government documents that are always published. In Salian, ganon nashat rasha. At Salian, di ba? Kailangan lagi publish. Um, God, oh my God. Bag of worms. Pero I mean, you know. Okay, wag na wag na baka baka malayvel tayo ng ambus, wag na wag na. Um, pero di ba there are certain documents that should always be published, always be made available because because the people have the right to know. And for documents which are not published, kalangan may process ka on how to request for certain documents. And at the same time, parang kalangan na spell out rin yung limitations, yung parang kaya kapag national security hindi mo pa ide ilabas ganon ganon. And yun dapat yung objective ng FOIA law na parang it would say na parang lahat ng documents to kalangan published sa website niyo. Period. Pag nirequesto pwede pero pag hindi ganun ganun and it would have applied to all three branches of government so executive legislative judiciary but because but because EO lang siya executive order executive branch lang covered which uh, is is limited in scope and also very limited in scope well because the, tec- well technically the executive branch is the biggest of the three branches diba kasi pero kasi diba um there's ano rin eh, lim- Siyempre, limited rin yung, 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 yung makukuha mo ng information from the Senate, from the House, on how they handle the finances. <laughs> so, so, judiciary. Good, good example niyan yung ano eh, yung, alam ko, ano eh, uh, nagka, nagka-mini-war yun nung panahon yung Pinoy when sila Butchabad first tried to ask for access to the, ano, yung JDF, yung Judicial okay, Development uh, Fund. Sobrang yes. sticky area niyan kasi talagang he really, they were really insisting na parang no for the sake of transparency. And up to that point, they had never given access to, to the records of the JDF. That is what's at stake in FOI, in the difference between a bill and an actual law and, and, and an executive order. But, but maybe just to add like a little bit of color <clears throat> yeah. to your discussion, the fact that it <clears throat> exists only by virtue of the EO also means that it can have no effective power as against the president also, right? That's probably, well, and, yeah. Well, you know, since it's, it's it's an executive order, he could just you know, some future president could just take it up, executive order. Or if if a request is made and it's particularly sensitive, you can say, well, I rip it up now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right? Oh, I mean, technically yes, you could you can make you could argue for. <laughs> yan yung ano yan yung in fact yeah, that was one of the um matagal ng issue to yung sa Bush yung sa Bush administration. Technically, meron ng EO pero malaking discretion ng president to say ah de yan hindi yan pa di access kung kano um pero on the flip side compared to FOI um meron rin naman tayo in recent years of um examples when a policy got that lightning in a bottle that lightning in a bottle moment arch bill perfect examples for several years hindi siya kumapasa and then and uh, so exactly yun yung problem stream the teenage pregnancy overpopulation blah blah, blah. solution was the arch bill but at the same time nagkakaroon ng debate kung ano bata kung Um, what should be the limit in the, and the extent of what's contained in the RH bill? So, parang, di ba, yung debate on the contraceptives, etc. We we all know that at this point. Yung mga controversies na pinagdaanan ng RH bill. But it really became feasible when Pino really just, if I remember, I still remember the sauna when, when di ba, when Pino was like, um, I think siguro naman pwede natin yung pasang yung, yung, ano, yung, rep, yung reproductive parenthood bill. Yung, <laughs> It moves. <laughs> Lightning in a bottle, ganun talaga. <laughs> well, like me personally, in my own, in my own uh, uh, 
like because on on the side i also assist with a little bit of policy work for uh-huh. on the behalf of the manufacturers in the philippines uh-huh. and that lightning in a bottle thing that really struck me particularly because it's really hard because even like the policy advocates who <laughs> i work with they're not terribly clear on how to make the situation better like we know create addressed it to a certain extent but uh-huh. i don't know if you're even if you're aware like say for example vat for example in a list and parang it, it was able <clears throat> to get past us and now we're having a bit of a trouble interfacing with the, the yeah. bar and the yeah. department of finance to mm-hmm. Like, hey, is there any way you could interpret the law in the, in our way? And we're kind of floundering because we're asking them, please make it so that we continue to be exempted from VAT mm-hmm. because that is one of the linchpins of the way that the business operates, even despite the high costs of mm-hmm. labor and such. The fact that we don't have to intersect yeah. with the tax system. And mm-hmm. like, it's hard because like tax is particularly is one of those issues where people don't really care. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> So, yeah, actually, and I, tax is one of the areas. I remember this entire idea of a, of a podcast episode started with a conversation about the role of lawyers. Parang, do you need the legal degree to, you know? um, to that answer? Yeah, you can survive without it. Pero meron ng certain areas of law na sobrang esoteric na kalaga mo talaga ng some some form of legal experience. In my case, um, for me hanggang ngayon taxation, hirap pa rin ako. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> So, but I mean, at the start, when we were start, when we were first discussing the syntax law, Pilipino, and then, uh, then, then afterward, the increasing rates. Wala ko mahanap na guide to explain what's the what's the difference between an excise tax and this other kind of tax. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Not really, parang diba? What's the freaking difference between a VAT and an excise tax? <laughs> They're both tax and commodities anyway, diba? <laughs> No, it, it's funny because like my my sister, uh, like I explained something <laughs> relatively simple in the law, uh-huh. and then she, like she said a client came and consulted <clears throat> with me with like a sentence that's ten question ten words uh-huh. long, and then she, my sister <clears throat> told me why didn't why did he have to go to you? Couldn't he have just googled that? And I'm like, well, uh, you know, if if you could just Google it, then you wouldn't have a need for lawyers. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> exactly. The order of complexity is much higher. Ah, ano civil code rin sobrang especially around the time when ano when the issue on the on when the issue on the on everyone's mind was in covariant ng ABCBN. It's parang wait, ano covariant? What the fuck is this? Kasi <laughs> <laughs> I was doing my part na parang alam mo yung parang is it possible na, na may kasabay yung covariant tapos may franchise hearing? <laughs> Yeah, but there were many. Yeah. <laughs> no, but, no, but in the legal community, there was like many uh, comments about the creative use of Coaranto, <clears throat> because Coaranto had entered the dialectic yeah. multiple times at that uh-huh. point, and they had originated from the same yeah. government office, and uh, they had it had been used also to unseat yeah. the chief justice. That that was particularly yeah. sticky with the with uh, the legal community. I read this article, nung, parang this book about. Yung around the time of the Arab impeachment, so that was the first time that most people had heard yung ano yung sabina dusus, <laughs> So parang pagyan when when ano parang so when people were eating dinner, parang tini sabina the ketchup to me, parang ganon. May mga certain legal terms na pumapasok sa popular ano sa popular. So kung dati sabina ngayon, kawaranto naman yung pumasok sa pop sa popular consciousness. Okay. Now we, we we were able to touch on a little bit on the mental model. We weren't quite uh-huh. able to cover it in as much detail as you know, but I'm sure we'll we'll get a chance to cover it as yeah. we go on. 
If I can ask though, like um, and these these are just like the hot button questions that uh-huh. everyone likes to hear from people in power. You know? like, do you think that uh, policymakers are driven more by a real politic or like practical considerations yeah. as opposed to their own high-minded ideals? Um, again, ano yan eh? It goes to the second part, but earlier we discussed in three streams. Yeah. There's another thinker that ano na inspired na that came out of nowhere. Si Ludwig von Rakao, siya yung basically German thinker. And he was the guy who who wrote the book, who literally wrote the book on the concept of real politics. It wasn't Bismarck, as in literally the foundations of real politics. So, parang, <laughs> no, really, there's a really interesting book by, ano, by John Bew, B-E-W, by a real politics, as in he really discusses in conceptual history and real politics. And if you look at the original conception of real politics, because now, right, parang real politics, when you think, when you talk real politics, parang I dirty politics, yun, because everyone just after power, yun, ganon. But at the same time. I think that real the kind of the kind of uh, real politic analysis that's in that book it's really useful in also understanding how change can happen. Um, according to yung book na yon, the the book by the German guy as summarized by the book that I read. Because I don't have the original copy of the book na yon. Ano siya? Eh, parang there are really a few questions that you need to ask when you're going to do a real a real political analysis. First and foremost, who is in power? Why is he in power? For example, Duterte. How did he get there in the first place? And in social, diba? underneath him, what were the social forces that led to him getting there in the first place? What are the ideas that they that that, that are that are shared among these groups? What about the others who don't like the ideas? Parang you know, yung anti Duterte. What about the people who are in the middle? So you, parang you're getting a picture of this entire um spectrum of the political activity and based on that you can ask yourself what's possible what can we actually do wait if if you could engage in the exercise though like yeah. like <clears throat> and i understand this is like politically <clears throat> sensitive but answering your own questions like yeah. what what were those motivating forces that allowed Duterte to ascend to the presidency in the first place nako hindi wala na yan sa ano sa kodigo natin ah Um, well, technically, I'm also doing analysis. I'm memorizing what it is. It really comes down, if you really want to understand how Duterte came into power, you have to look at the electoral map from 2016. And the electoral map of 2016 is very unique because Duterte won in basically in three in three major areas. Solid South, the divided Visayas, Greater Manila. By Solid South, I mean Mindanao, right? Because originally, when you, um, there's this concept in politics, Called the Bailiwick, um, in Tagalog Baluarte. Because anyway, when you when you're talking about elections, there are two kinds of votes. You have your command votes, you have your market votes. Your command votes, yung mga ay sorry, yung market votes, yung mga votes that makukuha mo from advertising, from radio. Basically, you know, yung image politics, image and issues. If you want to look at it from the terms of marketing, meron um this is what you call yung push and pull marketing. Image votes is push marketing. You're pushing your candidate to people who who you want to vote for that person. Command votes, naman yung people votes that you pull into the candidate. By virtue of machinery, by virtue of vote buying, I'm not saying anyone was involved in buying, so I'm free from libel. He's using air quotes for the benefit air of quotes. He's using air quotes, yeah. Air quotes, and of course, yung tinatawag natin na baluarte. What we call as the baluarte or the bailiff is basically the ethno-linguistic um, area from which a candidate comes from, and the area which is expected to vote for that candidate. On the spot, regardless of whether the candidate is qualified for a position or not, every president has one of those. Every president and presidential candidate has had one. Ramos, Pangasinan, de ba? Uh, Miriam Defensor Santiago was an Ilonga, and in every and in every elect and in, in every presidential election that she that she pushed for, um, she always won in Iloilo, in Bacolod, because Ilonga. Eh. Si Dut si Duterte, um, sure you would expect na parang ano parang Davao yung bigliwit, diba siya But he got more or less the entire Mindanao region. Six million votes na kuha niya at base. 
So imagine yeah. straight out of the gate, meron na siyang 6 million. But it wasn't sufficient kasi ano eh, parang di ba, um, it's, a, it's kind of a truism that, that elections are addition. So in the case of Duterte, he couldn't have won simply by just starting from Mindanao. In fact, there, there's already a candidate from a previous election who tried to do just that, si Emilio Osmeña. He's from Cebu. He's, he tried to do the entire Southern strategy in 1992. I think he ran for, was in one election he ran for vice president, one election he ran for president. I, I can't remember which is which. But he tried to he tried to win entirely by just winning votes in the South. Hindi niya kinaya. So Duterte had to get votes from ane from the other areas. And in this way, by getting votes from those other areas, nakabawas rin siya ng votes from the other candidates. So saan nagsimula mag ano? Saan saan nagsimula mag ano? Mag expand si Duterte. Um, if you look at the electoral map. Yung next na tinarget nila was Cebu, Cebu in Leyte. Kasi kung titingnan mo yung map ng Visayas in the lead up to the 2016 elections, everybody knew that Mar was going to get Iloilo. Given na yun kasi, di ba, Rojas, Ilongo. And if I remember, yung target na in well, syempre, I wasn't really part of the, no? I wasn't really part of the decision-making group in the 2016. Hindi, hindi pa ako ganun katas. <laughs> Pero if I remember from the articles that I read, yung, yung, from the conversations with the campaign, yung target namin was um, yung mga Waray-speaking legion, uh, mga Waray-speaking region. So, um, summer late. Eh. And that's that's why we had yung former Anwaray parties members si Bem Noel on our side. And then, but yung, yung ginawa lang nila, Digong, is they didn't try to win the entire resize. Kinuha lang nila Cebu. Kinuha lang nila Cebu. And by getting Cebu, nabalansin na Iloilo, nabalansin na yung tapos nahati pa nila yung, pa nila yung Waray-speaking regions. Nabawas sila yung votes si Gini nung principal ko tsaka ni Mark. Now, going into Luzon, kasi syempre hindi pa sapat yun, yung Mindanao tsaka Visayas, they had to go into Luzon. And he won in NCR, not only NCR, but in the surrounding provinces, yung BLCR, Bulacan, Laguna, Cavite, Rizal. Um, this is one, actually, one, one of the points of contention that I have when it comes to reading yung mga surveys. Because every time that SWS or Pulse HR or whatever firm comes out with a survey, they always say NCR and balance of Luzon. That's that's the wrong distinction to make. Because in reality, NCR isn't just NCR anymore. NCR is NCR plus BLCR. It's the greater Manila area. Kasi ganun yung pag ng Manila. It started from that small area in Tramuros. It, it kept spreading out. Umabot sa Bulacan. And that's why today you have people from Bulacan commuting on a daily basis to Manila and then going back. People who living in Rizal going daily. So more or less... That, that group of people are voting in the same way. And if you look at every single ele- election, um, I'm not sure kung 1992 counted, but every election since 1998, I sorry, no, kasama yung Every election since 1992, it's either the first or the second candidate who gets that area, yung greater Manila area. So parang, if, I'm, if I remember it correctly, Nung 1998, nakuha ni ERAP yung NCR. Nung 2004, nakuha ni FPJ, pero natatalo siya because of Hilo Garcia. 2010, Aquino got the entire 2016, si Digong. Now, how did he reach out to those specific areas? Well, in contrast, eh, parang there's this perception na parang ano eh, there, there's this kind of perception in, ano, in in politics na parang there's a thousand issues that need to be handled every election. Duterte just picked three and he won those areas. This isn't really going into mga social forces, but it's more of yung mga electoral patterns and, and we can just assume that there are social forces underneath. How did he win the entirety of Mindanao? Ano messaging from the very start? He's the child of Mindanao, he's pro-federalism, and only someone from Mindanao can solve the peace problem in, in Mindanao. Diba? Anak lang na Mindanao yung kaya mag-solve. And in fact, um, yan yung, if, I, if I remember correctly, there are articles that Duterte actually started going around in Mindanao 2014 pa lang. There's an article by Ronnie Holmes where he actually cites that. And he cites up where he cites a confidential source. And I'm pretty sure it's Lito Banayo because si Lito Banayo was with Duterte at the time. 
<laughs> okay. Well, uh, I think I've, I've baited you into a discussion about Duterte. Yeah. When yeah. originally I was asking you about real politics versus the high-minded ideals yeah. of politics, yeah. right? Uh, so that that that's entirely on me. Uh, yeah. But if you could give me like a few examples about how like real politics versus ideal idealistic uh, thinking kind of plays yeah. out in our local political scene, that would be great. Yeah. I can't really give you a new concrete example, but I would frame it like this: Parang it's good to have ideals, but how? Parang how do you implement those ideals if you can get if you can't get power in some form hmm. or another, diba? Basically, yan yung kritiko sa ano, sa current opposition yung grupo ng LP. In terms of the ideals, all of the ideals are there, the humor, but they just they can't seem to get alam yun, in terms of the real poli- the real politic computations of how to improve their standing. I mean, come on, zero eight sila nung country. In 2019. Actually, I, I understand, but then like there's also going too far naman on the other side. So I think yeah. like the most uh, contemporary person I can think about who is like realistic, yeah. uh, naman in the way he conducted his politics. Like this is an international relations example, yeah. naman. So it's uh, it's Henry Kissinger, diba? Like so yeah, he was uh, he, he was he was a, he was a student of Otto von Bismarck, and yeah. he was so realist in his thinking that he could justify committing atrocities, diba? Just because uh-huh. like we're trying to forward our agenda, we're trying to protect uh-huh. America, and so yeah. everything in service of that goal is worthwhile and can be morally excused mm-hmm. right yeah. which is which parallels a little bit of like the dialectic around Duterte no? uh. <laughs> yeah <laughs> but of course that's a can of worms we don't have to go yeah. any deeper into yeah libelian libel 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 anything with libel is like nope nope libelian no, 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 no. <laughs> But particularly, are there any examples of ways that, like concrete ways? Because people yeah. will, you know, people are disillusioned. They look at our government structure yeah. and they think that politicians have never sacrificed in the name of the greater good. And you gave me a few good examples where they, in fact, did. Yeah. Uh, one example that always comes to mind is si Ralph Recto in 2007. He was pushing Ivat. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody hated, but he did it anyway. Because I think I can't, I, I can't, I, hindi ko mahanap yung source kung kung, kung I can't find yung documentation. Pero apparently nung magkakampaign na siya, yung yung campaign pa niya was ane. I will push for more taxes. <laughs> I can't find. I remember reading something about that, but hindi ko sure kung parang satire article. Pero it would it would para it would be so funny if you really did. <laughs> Like the most that's the most yeah. universally unpopular uh, platform yeah uh, yeah so uh like so me i come from this background where i'm very heavily involved in you know the policy that surrounds the ease of doing business in the philippines yeah. so like i'm the president for like something that resembles a chamber of commerce yeah. in cebu and so a lot of the issues that i handle on a day-to-day basis at least in, at least when i have that hat on as has a lot to do with the laws uh, concerning doing business in the Philippines. Yeah. So, what what percentage, if you could even ascribe a percentage of you know your policy making factors in or takes into consideration uh, the requirements of business? And um, like I'll give a I'll give a very pointed example, yeah. right? Uh, of like, and it's a very it's a very haphazard mm. example, right? <clears throat> it's it's four piece, right? Yeah. Because businessmen generally don't like four piece because it makes it difficult for yeah. us to find labor. Right, yeah. because people are content to receive this quote unquote dole out from the government. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You'd be surprised. Um, uh, sa lang, every administration has an economic team. Di ba? Meron pa ng combination of DBM, NEDA, DOF, and more or less these are the guys who keep the flame alive for the business sector. More or less these are the guys who will keep on pushing for the same reforms over and over again, um, from one administration to another. For example, yung ano, yung grupo nila yung nag-push nung ano, nung, uh, yung, for example, sa Senate pa lang, we just recently passed yung retail trade liberalization law, ay uh, yung bill currently under debate yung PSA, 
Siyempre, napasaya yung create, yung create. So, of course, ano eh, andyan pa rin, the business-related loss, the business-related bills will always be there. <clears throat> siyempre, ano lang, siyempre, ano lang siya, parang hindi lang siya i-cover ng media kasi, siyempre, mahirap naman i-discuss yung all, all, all of the taxation stuff. But it's, ano, they're always there. Um, with regard to yung sa four-piece, <clears throat> alam ko, med- medyo naghita po ka sa sisasinan ko dyan. It's parang, um, when you really think about it, ano, what would business want to do more? na people are being subsidized by the tax or sila, or sila mismo mabuhay ng wages ng mataas <laughs> to get those workers yeah. pili sila kasi well, again, it think, goes back it goes back to the question of how, of how of the distribution of resources nakukuha naman yung revenue eh. so parang oh so now we have the option to give it to yung certain people as four piece tapos magrereklamo yung business sector okay then we'll change the ano then we'll change yung ano yung distribution of resources you don't want us to okay, we'll give we'll give you back the We'll give you back. We'll, uh, no, we'll give you back the capital, but will you pay it back to them? Going back again to the create issue, which is which is a fair, <clears throat> which is a fair observation. But I guess, yeah. <clears throat> like if and this is this where I will try to yeah. attempt to take the opportunity to restate the business case yeah. against these kinds of entitlement programs. Well, yeah. even using the phrase entitlement program is yeah. <laughs> is, uh, is is loaded. Uh-huh. No? But uh, and this is something I personally struggle with as a lawyer. Right? You do not want at least the private sector will articulate that you do not want a, a society where a large chunk of the financial or monetary opportunity comes from the government and this is speaking as a lawyer who have a lot who has a lot of friends who kind of default to uh, you know going into the government service as opposed to what i'm doing which is in the private practice because it's yeah. the easier choice right um And so when you have a program like the four piece, which sees which which postures the government as a kind of provider, right? Um, you kind of stifle, I guess, a little bit of that creativity, that drive to create for yourself, right? The kind of prosperity that you want, because you see in your life there is this uh, social safety net, kumbaga, in in the government. And so um, if I could state it like that, maybe that's really the heart of the issue here. Now we're kind of coddling our people instead of forcing them to uh, improvise, adapt, overcome, to borrow language from the meme. It's <laughs> yeah. uneasy ako sa, ano, sa question. Eh. Pero kasi ano, eh, um, there are also other ways of thinking. There's this economist from UP who says that um, one of the reasons why growth is not inclusive in the, in the country is because government is doing too much. Most of the most of the things that government is doing should be should just be privatized. <laughs> yeah. If you really want society to work, privatize everything. And that will mm-hmm. actually free up resources so that In the, 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 for example, the resources that are being paid out as you know all of these entitlement that you called can be given in more productive ways. So that, that's one way of thinking about it. But why do you think though that growth is not inclusive though? I mean, aside from the fact, of course, that uh, business cannot keep their grubby mitts off the money that they get from by virtue of their <laughs> business. Yeah. Nina, I I don't frame it like that. It's more of given that the economy will grow, how do people participate in that growth? How do you, how do people get a chunk of that growth? And really, the most direct way is wages. Mm-hmm. If the economy grows, the main way that 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 the econ that the economic growth is channeled to people is through wages and the social benefits. Ba? Well, but then like. I guess I guess like even me also like say for example I rejected the premise of like trickle down economics kanina yeah. like because of course even I understand there's limitations to that kind of thinking where you cannot expect people to pull them up by their own bootstraps in every instance there are like structures of systemic inequality that will prevent people from being able to achieve any kind of meaningful monetary success in the yeah. in well in the reasonable time frame that they have you know given that everyone only has so many years on this planet I I just don't know like I, I'm not really sure how we're doing it so badly right that our society yeah. is so incredibly inequitable and yeah I, i i personally struggle with these kinds of political conundrums because you know like i'm expected to come up with uh 
with yeah. policy stances. Uh, that are pro-business. <laughs> policy stances that are pro-business. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that are pro-business. But like you, like say for example, I'll give you, I'll give you a very yeah. clear example of some something that I personally struggle with, right? So if you look in the background over there, there's like a 3D printer, right? Uh-huh. And right, I can't, I can't find for the life of me like a good enough 3D modeler to kind of do the stuff that I want to do. So I yeah. would like that someone can spend the time and invest in their education so that they can be the kind of person who I can hire to do these kinds of things. So like there is a like a self-interested motivator towards like a society that more equitably distributes its resources <clears throat> and uh, like to borrow the phrase yeah. from Gordon Gecko, you know, greed is good because it yeah. you know it the conspicuous for some uh, uh, consumption that it creates can yeah. be in itself a potent driver of growth. But I guess like I personally I'm not very satisfied with the way that our current like legislative system well our, our current legal system is set up to encourage business like and i think i think that frankly a lot of people who i know right mm. they're dependent on the structures that be to yeah. create opportunities for mm-hmm. them instead of creating opportunities for themselves yeah. right which which is the entrepreneur mindset right which mm. is which i don't think is encouraged <clears throat> enough okay it, it goes back to the mental model now you understand that parang there are all of these unequal social structures that force people to, you know, that make people act in certain ways. And mainly the the main way to change that is to struggle, is to, particip- is to participate in, in the struggles of the state. I guess, though, that like... For example, you were, you, you were speaking earlier. Um, what did you say? The, the, way that, the, the way that things are mixed, I think you were referring to businessmen or entrepreneurs act in certain ways to, to fend for themselves. So there's a structural yeah. problem. Yeah. There are certain structural problems which exist and will probably exist in a, in, in for several uh, for forever. And <laughs> again, um, when you're talking about a problem, three streams, deba. Right? We're talking about the problem. Somewhere there's a solution. So what's the solution? I don't know. And of course, there's have to, there has to be that kind of political change which will make that solution to those problems palatable. And you have to wait for that kind of lighting in a bottle moment for that change to happen. Mm-hmm. Well, if I can, if I can just state though, because like just the other day, right? Uh-huh. I gave uh, I gave a talk to uh, like a university in Vietnam. It's it's weird the kind of opportunities that this <laughs> pandemic creates. They needed yeah. a resource speaker for business, and they were able yeah. to find me all the way in the Philippines. <clears throat> um, and uh, you know, Vietnam, their economic model, at least their target right now, is really yeah. foreign direct investment. That's the way yeah. that they've been able to. Like they've been able to outpace our growth, and they're they're on track to beat the Philippines in yeah. terms of like per capita GDP very soon, right? And that's because of FDI, right? Mm. And I'm thinking to myself, right, that's one of the low hanging fruits. Like, Mm-mm. if there were like uh, there was a tidal wave yeah. of manufacturers that were located in China that suddenly were uncomfortable with the business climate, yeah. and of course COVID 19 <clears throat> and yeah. decided that it wasn't worth it, and they decided mm. to leave China, yeah. and they went to Vietnam, Indonesia, Taiwan, and other countries, <clears throat> but on that list, the <clears throat> Philippines was not there. And it should have been, you know, we have a yeah. capable population, we have uh-huh. a capable labor force. And I'm wondering, like, what systemic problems, like, prevented them from choosing us? Because it's like, sayang eh. That's, we're talking uh-huh. billions of dollars in investment. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. 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 Na, medyo na, that, that issue medyo na, ano siya, medyo na happyawan siya nung, uh, nung create debate. Kasi nga, the main, people, the main way that you can get foreign investors to invest in the country is through yung mga eco-zones, diba? yung mga tax incentives, na gusto tanggalin yung create law. <laughs> tinanggal, ang daming tinanggal. Ang daming nagalit. Yeah. No, and then, what, and it's so weird kasi the, the incentives that, so there's this consolidation in the create law in terms of the incentives, yeah. no? 
right? And actually, one of the weird things was when I looked at the structure of the law, and so this is yeah. in broad strokes now, this is me <clears throat> summarizing my observations. Um, it's weird because it puts a foreign businessman in a position that's much better than a local businessman. So yeah. my, like for context, my family's been engaged in export for uh, about 40 years. And so we've always paid income yeah. tax. We've always been subject <clears throat> to regulation. And now suddenly we have to compete against the guy who, you know, just comes in and then has all these income tax holidays. Yeah. And I'm just like, uh, this doesn't feel fair. <laughs> Again, it, it goes back to the, who gets what, when, where, and how. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, FDI, again, like I, even yeah. I was, uh, uh, I'm guilty of it because I, I said like that's something we would want in the Philippines. Uh, uh, again, uh, if, I mean, if, if you're going to look at it from an investment perspective, I think that really, and yeah, I'm sure I know, parang I've read about it, but I have very, I don't really have that much experience in, in, in promoting investment. The one thing that causes companies to move from their, from their main, from their homeland to another country is cost. The reason why Apple exported everything abroad is cost. Mm-hmm. And so... If they're not do if not if they're not going to the Philippines one way or another it's a problem of cost. But at the same time, um, again, when you're talking about cost, you're probably talking about operations cost. Hmm. So the cost of, of, of operating in the Philippines, indeed, I mean, of course, yung 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 mga cost to register, kamanayan yung mga yung business permitting licensing, and of course yung yung quote unquote yung mga lag yung mga lagay quote unquote. Sure, kasama narin yun sa ano libel etc. <laughs> But at the same time, um, again, this goes back to my to my bias. Again, wages are also um, wages are also an operation cost. So, parang um, up to what point are we willing to promote investment in the country? Parang are we are we are we willing to let's uh, are we willing to let wages stagnate even further if if it will bring in more ano if it will if it will bring in more more foreign investment, diba? And there's uh, yan yung ano eh, um, I, I guess if there's one thing that I hope that people can get from this episode is that everything has a trade-off. One thing that I've really learned that I've really learned um, working in public policy is that there are very very few absolute wins. Most of the, most of the time, it's a trade-off between one and another, and alam you know, to get this kalami trade-off. So yeah, it again it goes back to to to, to FDI, right? The distribution of resources is cost, and again, may may mga social forces outside of the state between capital and labor. Are we going to outbalance labor again to make the country more palatable? Like again, that's that's one of those trade-off issues. <clears throat> Have you have you uh, by any chance read that thesis of Ken Abante? Right? Uh, about what? About um, trade facilitation <clears throat> in the Bureau of Customs. Um, parang I've heard of it, pero hindi ko pa ano hindi ko pa nababasa. Actually, hindi ko pa nababasa. In fact, actually, the weird thing is that ano, see, I, I tend, I, I'm actually working quite, ano, I'm quite actively quite actively with Ken Abante lately, because yeah, part of the bicycle lanes group. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Pero actually, I, I actually had a, I had a video <clears throat> conference with him recently where we talked yeah. about. Uh, well, not naman recently. This was a while back now. But uh-huh. like, I was asking for his input because I had to interface with the Bureau of Customs a lot, and so I noticed he written a thesis on it. He pointed me in the direction of his thesis. I read yeah. it, and that was like a very succinct statement of why you can't have like manufacturing in the Philippines. Yeah. No? Uh-huh. Yeah. He like the way that when I was reading it, it was like there was a stress on plain language and intelligibility. Yeah. And like the the assertions there were along the lines of in the Philippines. Uh, between uh, 60 and 80 percent of all shipments that come into the ports, the various yeah. international ports yeah. scattered across the country, will be flagged and will be uh, subject to inspection or duties yeah. or some uh, kind of general hassle. Yeah. And the, and he compared it directly against uh, <clears throat> the statistics that exist in other in other countries. That number yeah. is closer to 20, which means yeah. that from a like a from a regulatory framework, it is four yeah. times more difficult to deal with <clears throat> the Customs Bureau of the Philippines than it is. With 
with any of our neighbors. And that yeah. for me was like, oh my gosh, like uh, that is genius. Yes, why, but, why, why isn't this being <laughs> talked about? And then, yeah. Uh, oh. The main reason why is it, it isn't being talked about, yung regular, yung, ano, yung, yung fees, is because yung revenues ng BOC is one of the sources of revenue of government. So yet, again, the, again that trade that issue of trade-off. Pwede natin babaan yung fees. Mas marami yung papasok. Pero syempre, um, the, the, amount, the amount of money that government will have to spend on its programs will, will be decreased. So how, are, and parang, how will government adjust to that? Are we going to cut certain programs? And if so, what programs are, are we going to cut? Are we going to reduce the number of beneficiaries? So again, trade-offs. I'm, I'm not saying there are absolute wins here. There are trade-offs that, that have to be thought about. Yeah, it's just, it's just it, for me, it's particularly <clears throat> frustrating because like I'm, I'm familiar with the can of worms and I won't say who it was I have spoken to, uh-huh. but like as exporters, right? We have to like yeah. try to advocate for policy that <clears throat> makes business easier. But yeah. when I try to bring up anything that touches the Bureau of Customs, all the businessmen are suddenly like hands off, hands off, kami don. Like hindi kami yeah. touch nyan, because it's so politically sensitive. You know what I mean? Yes. Uh, uh, yeah. Chaka ano? Shempre. I mean, yung meron rin yung mga vested interest in BOC. That you know, it's kind of common knowledge. But shempre, I'm not gonna name names because we're kind of moving into libel territory. <laughs> <laughs> Where do you see uh, the role of government vis-a-vis society? Like, because we've talked really about like the nitty-gritty of how to formulate policy. Yeah. But what do you think is really the responsibility of government? Like, is it an admi- administrator of common resources? Is it directing society, custodian, social safety net, or maybe a combination? What do you think? Um, again, it goes back to my to the first level of the mental model which I created, which I'm sure nobody will understand. <laughs> it yeah, goes yeah. back to the issue of. Um, what politics is about. It's about who gets what, where, and how. And in itself, the state is neutral. Parang the state doesn't, parang it just exists. The main question is about who manages to get power and how they apply and how they use the level, the levels, yung, what Lenin calls yung commanding heights of power to influence in the direction of, in, in, in the, in, in direction of society. And personally, I take more of a, of a, of a developmental route. Yung, the state should be active. Um, I, ano eh, parang, I'm more in the line of yung um yung mga Asian yung mga yung mga, yung mga Asian development states yung mga, yung mga Japan pero you know, um, my thinking is pretty clear at this point kasi hindi ko pa masyado na hindi ko pa siya hindi ko pa na masyado na mapag-aralan but there's this other book again ang dami kong sinasite na book dun sa ano sa note na yon there's this book by Joe Studwell called How Asia Works and basically um he he argues that you could divide Young Asian countries into states which took an active role in developing the country and did the right things, and then states which didn't. And you can just guess which part of those states the Philippines belongs in. I'm not gonna say which one, but we, you, you, I'm assuming that you know that our listeners are smart enough to figure it out. Um, basically, this, the state started with agriculture. It started with land reform. You mga large tracts of land were distributed on a small scale to farmers, and then binigyan sila ng support, blah blah blah. Yumaman yung mga farmers, and then they develop manufacturing. So the, all of the farming jobs they move to manufacturing, and then uh, medyo vague kasi syempre, I'm kind of summarizing a whole book in like three lines, and then they moved into export policies. Yung ginagawa nila once the manufacturing firms had been set up. They started to give incentives, but they had to export. And if they failed to meet export targets, oops, tanggal yung incentive mo, by company. And then eventually, only the strongest survived. So, uh, alam mo yun, may role, the role, the state has an active role in uh, putting the country on a certain path. But again, it depends on who manages to get on, who manages to get into power, and what they believe in, and what direction they think the country should go into. Mm-hmm. And, you know, 2022, vote wisely. 
Of course. But <laughs> I'm so scared for that election. Yeah. Anyway, uh, so how do I how do I say this? Um, uh, with regard, uh, you know, you, you mentioned that we have to transition. And yeah. I think Carl Chua was quoted as saying this like just a few weeks ago. Uh <clears throat> How do we get that robust agricultural and manufacturing sector? Like, yeah. what is it that's keeping us from getting those things? Well, it, it's a, a, a large part of it is we kind of we kind of skip from agriculture manufacturing and went straight to services. If you if you look at the base economy, um, agriculture is really the share of agriculture and economy has pretty much gone down to what five percent since 1970. The highest the highest share I think was around 60%. I'm not sure in specific, but the largest was around March. Was around the time of Marshall of Marcos. So, but this is not an endorsement of Marcos. I'm just saying that was the time when agriculture had the largest, and then it declined over time. Mostly, mostly due, you know, mostly due to neglect. Diba? Hindi na ayos yung hindi na ayos yung land reform, and then the kapatong patong ng corruption, ng kaporoan ng um, fertilizer fund scandal. So napabayaan talaga yung sector. <clears throat> it's crazy. Now it, you know, especially as young people looking at that yeah. problem, it looks like such a huge mountain yeah. to like have to overcome. Uh-huh. And it is so tempting to go, ah, fuck it, let's go to the U.S. <laughs> <laughs> well, ano, eh, going back to the, ano, to the yung problem ng agriculture, there's this, ano, there's this, ano, parang there's this idea that's been on my mind. Matagal ko na siyang gaw- gustong gawing bill, pero parang, alam mo yun, pinag-iisipan ko pa siya. Parang, meron kasi kami ng phenyl na, ano, na phenyl, kasi if you look at it, there are so many agricultural laws in the Philippines, it's just a matter of how to harmonize them together in such a way that it could, you know, it, it, you know how, how to harmonize them together in, in order to create certain outcomes which is yung robust agricultural sector um for example meron tayong ng bill on yung um sorry meron ng may meron ng mga gusto mag-file uh, sorry meron na meron na ng existing laws yung sa ano yung sa agricultural mechanization so parang dapat meron ng uh, ng government support for paglabas ng mga tractors yung mga laws ng government and then there's this other bill that we want that that, that we actually filed yung tawag doon yung agricultural yung corporate agriculture so papasok yung private sector kasi when you look at it di ba may land labor and capital wala talagang capital eh <laughs> so papasok ah, yung capital yeah. di ba papasok yung capital and then and this is just this is just the broad stroke pero nagagets may idea di ba may, may government kana papasok yung capital um the siguro for example yung ano yung uh, yung private sector will buy will lease yung mga lands na meron sa kanila to buy so i uh, sorry i uh, will the private sector will lease the lands that they have so that to the farmers so that they can farm on that or pwedeng direct supply parang ginagawa ng Jollibee diba nagano parang may direct contact sila sa mga onion suppliers binibili nila diretso yung supply but then how can we take that direction and to develop and to focus it towards high value crops kasi one of the critiques that i kept on hearing during the 2016 campaigns that we're too focused on rice <laughs> diba we're focused so much on rice production that um in terms of the cash crops wala tayo masyadong nalalabas eh so parang How do we take the role of government, which is to identify what crops we should grow, and how do we take and how do we create the incentives for the private sector to come in to focus on those crops, and then how and then how can we identify? You may idea the management association of the Philippines. Para what are the major agribusiness? Uh, what what are the major agribusiness corridors in the Philippines? Para dito sa Pilipinas may part dito bananas yung specialty. Sa part nito may ganito may may ganito ng part yung ano. So yeah, sobrang big. <laughs> No, 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 no worries, man. Like it's it, it, for me, because like the fact that no, at least me, like I'm comfortable that at least there's someone who's willing to engage with those kinds of questions. Because uh-huh. even me, for example, I'll yeah. readily admit I don't know. Pero at least you know, very obviously, yeah. we can see that you are someone who's still trying to wrestle with these questions. I mean, yeah. you know, like, to be honest with you, like I really don't like the the, the direction that the economy is headed in. Because like we're so dependent on the business process outsourcing industries. Yes. Yes. But. 
Um, like the only reason the Philippines, well, okay, I won't say it's the only reason. There are many reasons, as of course we go back to the mental model. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, but you know, the only reason, well, the 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 biggest reason why is because we're a nation of English speakers. Like that's probably the largest contributor to the fact yeah. that the BPO industry was set up yeah. here. But to my mind, like we're only one generation away from that competitive advantage being taken away from us, right? Like mm-hmm. if you go to Vietnam, literally everyone speaks English. It's a yes. broken form of English, but they're not yes. far away from the level yes. of competency yes. that we are at now. And then when that <clears> is gone, well, na like yeah. ano italaga yung ano? Because they will like as you said. But the foreign investors will just look for the cheaper place. Yes. And then yes. once they go there, boom, yes. wala na. Yung BPO yeah. industry overnight can be uh, gone. Kasi that's the kind of business they are. They have yes. no loyalties. Yes. It's Ayan so yung, easy to set yeah. up. Yeah. Yan yung, ano, if, if, if we go back to yung discussion ni Joe Stadwell, na, sinasabi niya that in the successful Asian states, in the Japans and the South Koreas, they managed to get to that level of modernization because they focus on developing export-oriented industries. Diba? Yung mga Samsung, the, these big corporations who can compete on the global stage. The Philippines never reached that stage. Diba? We never got to that stage. And because of that, the main source of our economic growth is domestic consumption, the malls. Diba? It's because people are spending. That's the reason why the economy grows. Diba? Parang on the balance, ano, trade deficit tayo. And then since wala tayong agriculture, wala tayong manufacturing, Most of the growth is in services, which is limited to mainly yung urban areas. So, tumama yung COVID, walang mall, walang urban area, bagsak talaga ekonomiya natin. <laughs> yeah. And then, of course, yung sinasabi yung competitive advantage. In a couple of years, yung mga BPO industries will start moving out. In fact, hindi lang, it's, it's actually not just on the level of English competency, but also the cost <laughs> of the workers. Yeah. If, one of the, if one of our competitors manages to have that level of English competency at, at, at a lesser cost, hindi pa lahat. <laughs> so, alam mo yun, yun yung parang, that's the brittle ground they call, that, and the, 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 the economy is on. So, parang every time that I see these stats na parang, oh, the economy is growing, blah, blah, blah. Parang, there's a part of me that feels na, yes, but underneath it, it's really a huge house of cards. Parang, the economic fundamentals that you're all talking about, I don't see them. I, I don't think the economy will be resilient enough in the, in the next 50 or 100. Nakita na lang, COVID pa lang, di ba? <laughs> one, one wave of going, boom, everything shut down. We had the worst recession since 1970-something. Yeah. So, I guess we've talked a lot about like the different kinds of policies and the definite yeah. uh, policy failures in the Philippines. So, yes. if, you could, if, the, if you could articulate one of the reasons why, or perhaps one of those uh, structural problems that exist yeah. in Filipino, uh, the Filipino political <laughs> system, Yeah. What would that be? Um, structural problems. I think I think you uh, outlined uh, something particularly, which is uh, the padrino system in your answer. It doesn't really fit into your question, but since you know we're already into the ano, if there was one thing that I could desperately change in how not just government but everything works in this country is just to remove patronage, to remove the padrino system completely. Because <laughs> yeah. I mean, we've all come. Parang everybody has a story. Na parang ay parang alam mo yung parang parang muntik na to mangyari sa akin. But buti na lang may kontak ako sa loob ng gobyerno. It, it's one of those things <coughs> that, as a lawyer, like I'm incredibly yeah. familiar with it. In fact, like yeah, I, for, some... the, the, the legal fraternities. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a barbarian, by the way, for yeah. the benefit of the listeners, which means yes. I do not have a fraternity, which uh, means I decided, I, 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 which means I decided to go it alone despite abundant of uh, abundant evidence that I should have done the other say uh, the other yes. way. Malay mo na sa ano kan nasa nasang law firm kan ngayon nasa kung nagfraternity ka nagfraternity ka di ba? 
No, but uh, I guess I guess <clears throat> that was the way I was raised there. Like I'm supposed yeah. to be like this kind of uh, entrepreneur, and I strike out on my own. So I guess it was just something that wasn't in the cards for me. Yeah. But oh, I mean, like if if you could, like, is there a way to solve it? You think? Like, is there is there is there yeah, is there a way to solve it? <laughs> Honestly, I've read all of. I mean, I've read a couple of books, but I don't think any of them has managed to 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 give like a real concrete answer on how to remove. Because it's hard to tangle the patriarchy, right? It's hard to tangle it if it if it's if it's literally the way that Filipino society works. You're not really going to tangle. Well. You know that's actually something that I I like yeah. I like to think about at least because at least yeah. the reason why patronage politics at least in the Philippines is so terribly yeah. prevalent let's say uh, to my mind at least is the fact that yeah. individual positions in the Philippine government yeah. can exercise so much influence yes. and I think like the only logical way for it to not be a problem because you cannot eliminate the problem yeah. of people knowing each other and favoring one set of people <clears throat> over another set of people. Um, yeah. You can at least reduce the impact of decisions uh, like that. And, yeah. uh, you know, that's why for me, at least, at least yes. insofar as federalism <clears throat> is concerned, right? Duterte's platform has always made sense for me because I feel that acutely as a Filipino, especially like say for example, me as a lawyer here, right? I came from one of the top universities in Manila, right? Yeah. And I want to be able to offer these services to my clients. Like if you would like, I can help walk you through the process of, you know, <coughs> registering a publicly listed corporation or, uh, yeah. you know, engaging in a reclamation project. Yeah. But they can't get me because yeah. those government offices exist in Manila and like yeah. the lawyers who can do those kinds of services and do them regularly exist yeah. almost exclusively in Manila right and so wala na magkakapadrino system talaga pag yeah. ganun di ba yeah and actually i'm I just kind of when i i when I, i'm actually just kind of reading yung kinengos and I, i was kind of drawing a blank on the initial question yeah parang i mean yun yung ano eh, parang every every single government that has ever occupied always has some form of under patronage parang Um, I'm not simply not going to name names, but you know, yeah, President X gets appointed, and on he and gets elected. He's elected on the back of a coalition of all of these people and businessmen. But simply, you know, parang okay, pare, since you you helped me, lalagay kita di blah blah blah. And so the position, the appointment of that position, is not necessarily because he's the most competent, but because of loyalty. And simply because that person might not have the best, you know, moral compass, or in fact, maybe yun yung primary motive niya for getting into politics ito is to you know to to, to siphon the government government contracts yung mga yung mga ano yung, yung mga contracts na hawak niya yeah award niya to people that he knows of course I'm bring there's the procurement process but ano everybody knows you know ang ang daming paraan to go around yung ano to go around yung procurement process and because the ties that bind these people is not um is not competence but pure loyalty most of the time these guys are never held accountable and not only that because so because since a lot of the position government are based and patronage sobrang limited ng ng ano eh ng opportunities for people to to actually participate in politics to the point where the where the political participation of most people is vote for someone get disappointed rant about then vote for someone else and then get disappointed in that group of people and alam mo yan and that's why every election in this country is alam mo hindi parang laging gilit yung mga tao tuwing election is because the people who are appointed the people in government are never held accountable And when you look at the definition of democracy, as the parang the central point of democracy is, um, in which government officials are held accountable through elections, parang hanggang parang if there's no accountability or there's a, there's a, there's a, parang or, or or there's such a limited degree of accountability, then are we still technically a democracy or are we something else entirely? <laughs> Some would say we're a kleptocracy, no? Well, I'm reminded of uh, what you, what our what a mutual friend of ours said. Yeah. Well, at least he said he said it to me. He probably repeated it to you yeah. because you spent more time with it. Yeah, uh, see, Torque. Uh, uh, he, yeah. 
he he was the one who was who first articulated to me this whole oh you know uh, every president that has ever entered uh, power in the Philippines has always been the antithesis of the previous president and yeah. I always like stating this because it always makes me sound really smart but it's actually <clears throat> Torque's idea. Everyone was so sick of the strongman uh, Marcos they were willing to let Cory govern. Everyone yes. was so was so fed up with like a meek housewife they let Ramos uh, in. Yes, right? yes. Everyone uh, was so, everyone hated how strict Ramos was. They wanted a cool guy in Arab. Everyone I, hated how actually <laughs> that there's actually a theory. I, I'm just trying to remember, but he's a he's a professor in Lasal. Na parang there are essentially three types of um. But he bases this theory on he bases his theory on this book by I know by Stephen Scorone called the um the politics that presidents make. So it basically every president um basically comes in uh, every president that comes in is defined in relation to the previous administration and therefore like um he has the opportunity to to change and govern in a way that's completely opposite to the previous administration, right? And see, the author that I'm talking about, I'm just trying to remember his name. He argues that there are three types of um, there are three types of political regimes which have existed post EDSA. You have yung mga reformists, yung populists, and then you have yung mga yung tinatawag yung mga dirty elites, yung the people who get the populists out of power so that the interest of elite can be ano, can be um, can be uh, forwarded. Uh, let's let's go back to that entire cycle, de ba? Um, dirty elites, Marcos. Tinanggal si Marcos, naglagay ng reformist for two straight terms, si Cory at si Ramos. But then, but you know, because of how unequal society is in, in, in the Philippines, and because reformism is generally very limited, nagagalit yung mga tao. And of course, diba, it's patronage politics, blah, 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 the anger builds up. Populism, yun, yun, So, ERAP comes in. But of course, the elite are not happy with ERAP. Tinanggal nila, nilagay nila sa GMA. Parang compromise. Okay, sige, you do the economic reforms, but also you do all the corruption that you want. And so, after that... <laughs> No, really. I mean, that was really the if you look at yung political science and yung, yung political science literature, that's really how that's really how GMA is framed. Parang she's sabi ng author, she's the one who did the dirty work for the eat at the time. <laughs> if you okay. look even at the time, yung ano yung yung civil society at the time was divided on how to handle GMA after after ano after after Hilo Garcia. Kasi kakailik pala ng tao, kasi may scandal na agad. Ano? Call ano? Papabagsak kayo na natin ulit? <laughs> kakatanggalan natin kay Erap tapos sa couple of years kakatanggalan natin kay ano kay Marcos and then after that because and then because all of all, all of the corruption yada 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 reformism ulit pasok na naman si Pinoy anak ni Cory ganda ng narrative but because this, the powers of the state are so limited and because of patronage politics diba, patronage politics getting in the way of you of the reform agenda and you know people are getting angry again at the ano at the yung all of these oligarchs and all of the elites in government populism ulit Duterte yun nga lang wala na yung the elite at this point they don't have the power to remove Duterte anymore wala na yung parang GMA level na parang conspiracy ganun EDSA too wala na eh and actually this is this is actually a really interesting point I've, I've been really thinking about this um, we have never ever defeated a populist through an electoral exercise in our end entire political existence never mm. so we don't know how to do it so Manu manuel quezon technically populist was never voted out of office ramon magsaysay proto 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 populist man of the masses was never removed from office he died joseph estrada man of the masses was he elected out of office no he was removed and so now that we have Duterte and you we can't remove him by by an via edsa or some some kind of social shenanigan 
nobody has any idea on, on how to remove from from, from office nobody and nobody knows how to how to handle a populist regime kaya kaya I mean, kaya rin siguro hirap na hirap yung LP kasi there's really no precedent on how to handle someone like Duterte na parang may support ng masses but at the same time sobrang lakas ng ng kapit ng lapit ng kapit sa mga ano political institutions kasi every single time that you know the traditional opposition does it the government is always unpopular so madali lang tirahin labas ng lahat ng expose ganun ganun yada yada but when you have someone like Duterte na parang if you saw the latest SWS survey hanggang ngayon 85% yung approval rating how the hell do you deal with that <laughs> yeah 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 that is something how the hell do you deal with that kaya kaya parang alam mo all of these people as as we move toward 2022 people are like how because we've literally never had any sort of precedent on how to do it because all of the populists we've had have either stayed in power died or removed through through non-electoral means <laughs> well i guess there's a way to do it if you if you are yourself also a populist like say for example there's been a clamor for Manny Pacquiao's presidency for a very long time right so i think if you represent a lot of what the populist represents you can but maybe it, break the electorate but it would break yung electoral cycle kasi nga diba yung sinasabi there's this kind of electoral cycle na parang corrupt and then reform and then populist and then someone does the dirty work and then back to reform But once that cycle is breaking, once that cycle is broken, ano yung mangyayari afterwards? Sobrang unpredictable. Para okay, maybe maybe a populist wins it, but because of you know because of um, the galit from the former populist group, makakaroon ng civil war ganon ganon. <laughs> completely unprecedented yung situation eh. So uh, to your mind, it, it, <clears throat> you're we're really in dire straits with this coming election. I wouldn't, but I wouldn't put it so out so dire na para oh my god, this is the end of the world. It's more of it, it's probably going to be the most unique elections that we've ever had. Because number one, we're going to be voting. We're going parang there will be attempts to try to remove a very popular president out of at a political office which has never happened before diba and second of all this is one of this might be one of the few elections where the endorsement of the president actually matters kasi every single presidency yung endorsement ng president wala nga halos walang epekto eh the person that the president elect, he always loses yeah. well except for Ramos no 1992 but technically si technically kasi Ramos was not part of Aquino's party si Mitra yung part ng party na yun eh diba <laughs> so every time before kasi nga every single election the president is always so unpopular that whoever he endorses malamang people won't even vote for that person and third this might be um i think that this might be one of the elections that's sobrang baba ng turnout simply because may covid pa eh. i mean how are people going to, going to go to the precincts with all of those people if so many people are not vaccinated so mababa pa yung electoral turnout diba it's a really unpredictable ele- election super unpredictable dagdag mo pa yung number of candidates ilan na ba ngayon para one two at least three Diba? May Lacson ka, may Isko, may Pacquiao. <coughs> so, it's, it's kind of hard now to see. Even, like, even, like, you, 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 like, so coming from our socioeconomic background, we have, yeah. like, a limited view of <coughs> politics. And I definitely yeah. don't have the depth of, like, polit- the political insight that you do. Yeah. But I'm looking at, like, Isko Moreno, Pacquiao, <coughs> yeah. uh, Ping Lacson, and I'm trying to think to myself, do these guys have what it takes to, like, take down Duterte? And kutub ko talaga hindi eh. You know again, I mean? and um, anyway, again, we're anyway, yan yung anyway, yung yan yung this is where the real politic analysis I was talking about. Parang again, you have to look at who is the person in power, how did he stay in power, ano yung uh, ano yung alignment ng social forces. All of those answers are found in the electoral map of 2016, which is how did how did the 30 win? Solid South Mindanao, divided Visayas, he won Cebu, and yung Visayas yung Summer Leyte, and he won yung tinatawag natin na Greater Manila area. Now you look at the bailiwicks of all of the possible candidates. Si Duterte will probably maintain Mindanao, even with Pacquiao, he will probably maintain Mindanao. 
but yung Cebu tsaka yung Manila or yung Iloilo. <laughs> or what about the rest of Luzon? Si Isko will, will probably have Metro Manila right out of the gate. Yeah. Metro Manila PLCR right out of the gate. But whether or not he maintains that edge, yun yung medyo mahirap eh. <laughs> um, if um, Bong Marcos runs, hawak na yung buong solid north. So that's another chunk of the electorate that bigly weak na. Command vote na yun. Hindi na siya subject to marketing etc command vote na yun ng mga Marcos if he runs. <laughs> well, so okay like before we descend into like depressing topics of like permutating between the different kinds of presidencies. Honestly for me this isn't really any this isn't really I I for me this isn't depressing this is kind of exciting for me because parang you're mapping out all of the possibilities. <laughs> Yung electoral strategy of each of the groups. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, for for you it's exciting but uh, out, outside looking in I'm just like wow our country's in for one hell of a roller coaster ride you know what i mean <laughs> i don't have the technical understanding that you do eh? so it just looks uh, like the kiss it just looks like uh that roller coaster ride and yeah. like six flags which goes over and yeah. over and over but with without end you know what i mean <laughs> Basta yung battle is over assuming that the 30 will keep most of the now yung battle will be in manila cebu and in visayas and especially the rest of luzon pero kasi yung rest of luzon doesn't really you know parang if I looked at yung past elections since 1992, hindi, hindi ganun, ano, parang, hindi ganun parang if this group of provinces votes for the, ano, it doesn't mean that he will become president. But, but usually Manila, ano, usually Manila, ano, parang, it's, it's kind of a predictor kung sino yung magiging president or second runner-up. <laughs> Sige. So we've talked a lot about like the 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 politics and uh, yeah. the depressing the depressing <laughs> options. At least I refer to them as depressing options yeah. for the presidency. Let's talk more about your career now. So what is what is a career in public policy like? Do you do you think it's rewarding? Um, sir, I mean definitely on the level of financial fulfillment. it's not. it's not comparable to what you would in in a high paying corporate job or law school ako. Um, I think that. You have to have motivations other than money when you go into government. So you really, you know, you really need to have the passion for, um, for policy work and for, you know, for, you know, for, for, for the long nights during the budget season, na parang ano, parang alauna na di parang sila tapos interpolation, but you still have to be there. Kalanga talaga may ano, may pinaguhugutan ka. But if it's fulfilling, yes, it's definitely fulfilling for someone who has that, ano, for someone who has that drive in life. So. Like, but like, as for like the public policy space, do you think like the public policy field in the Philippines is outputting yeah. enough homegrown talent to staff these positions? I actually had a really interesting conversation about that the other day. If you look at yung mga senior most positions, and I'm talking about yung mga chief legislative officers, mga chief political officers, mga media relations officers, uh, most of the time actually, ano yan eh, mga long time, mga long time veterans in, in in political. For example, yung isang kilala ko started out from. Leticia Shahani of all people and then she moved to Lauren Legarda and then napunta siya kay Jambi and then I think kay Cheese I mean palipat-lipat yung mga tao eh simply because um it's not just because limited yung well one number one na yun yung skills that are required to succeed in politics aren't necessarily marketable skills outside of politics walang demand for people outside of our kind of skills outside and of course iba rin yung demands ng mga politicians they're looking for certain characteristics and number three yung skills to gain, for example, on how to be good media relations or how to be a good political officer, there walang libro eh. You have to learn it from people who are already there. So mm-hmm. yes, very, it's a very limited space, but I think it's it's possible to, I think it's worth talking about how to expand that, about, about how to expand it. 
Kasi anyway, again, when you look at yung mga personalities, not only who, who, who will be running in 2022, but also yung mga campaign managers, these are more or less the same people. Lito Banayo from Duterte, lumipat kay Isko. And even before even even before um, Duterte, alam ko nung 2004, Lito Banayo was with Luxon. So, <laughs> completing the electoral cycle talaga. Si Malutikia, I think, is, is with Isko now. But syempre siya yung ano siya yung nagsimula nung nung palengke ads ni Marsh ano niya yun brainchild niya yun eh yung nagpapadyak-padyak si Marsh sa palengke ko noon pero in reality nasa labas lang siya ng Cubao Yeah siya yun um ano ba ba yung ano um is ah, si Ronnie Puno yung na ano, yung ni-report recently niya na kay ano na na kay Luxon Soto na actually ano siya parang I think at one point he was with Alan Cayetano in the house and even before that siya yung parang pinaka-political operator ni GMA so very limited yung ano eh the number of people who have the skills to actually run a successful campaign but it's also because the skills needed to get to that level wala magtuturo sa'yo unless you're actually in the game alam mo yun for example just Just, just for example, yung budget process, paggawa ng budget amendments, wala, I mean, <laughs> parang there's no book on how to do a budget amendment. Kahit walang, walang rule book, whatever, you, you literally have to ask someone, Oy, boss, paano po mag-amendment na nga na? Ano yung rules? <laughs> I mean, nobody's going to teach you how to do yung parliamentary procedure. I mean, it's technically there in the rules of the Senate, pero yung getting to actually learn yung parliamentary procedure, even the newbie senators, they need yung mga ganyan, yung mga senior staff. Eh. Kaya yung, for example, yung isang kilala ko has moved from Ah, nag-start siya with, I can't remember, yung uh, yung author ng Code of Ethics. Ah, nag-start siya kay Sadisa. Ah, sorry, nag- nagsimula pa siya kay Sotelo, kay Sotelo Laurel, and then pumunta siya kay Sadisa, and then Ramon Magsaysay Jr., and then Manny Villars. Ah, ikot-ikot lang. <laughs> well, I guess kasi, like, well, I'm trying to imagine what my listener is thinking about yeah. if, they're st- if they're still with us because we've been talking a while. <laughs> yeah. But then, um, maybe a way that they could understand it better. <clears throat> if you talked about how the political system of, and political operators function in other countries as opposed to like the particular idiosyncrasies. Because you know, I think people in the Philippines honestly have a better idea of how politics might function in the U.S. maybe, <clears throat> at least on the level of policymaking. Not, not, of course, on the ground. Everyone has yeah. that idea, no? Right? But like, you know, like we're inundated with terms like lobbyists. With special yeah. interest groups, yeah. and like for for those who are legally minded, maybe uh, super PACs, right? Um, yeah. Uh-huh. And like, how does that level of political complexity compare to the Philippines? Technically, siya wala tayong mga super PACs dito sa Pilipinas eh. And yung lobbying, the the, the US style lobbying is usually limited to the really big corporations. I, again, I'm not going to say, but I I am going to tell you a story. Nung time nung when we were debating yung train law, yung tax reform for accelation inclusion, and may dalawang senators na boots, nagde-debate on a certain point of ano, taxation, ganun-ganun. Tapos yung isang staff na isang senator na, ano, parang mentor, ko lumabas, ano, look, look, uh, kanina ka maninola, sa Chamber of Commerce sa Sugar Lobby. <laughs> na kasi, no, literally, kasi if you look at the positions of those, literal yun yung, yung sinasabi ng dalawa. <laughs> no, uh, again, I, I cannot say kung sino sila, I'm just saying I heard these things. Libel again. <laughs> it's actually, it's actually, it's actually consistent with my experience of it. Because sometimes I mean, I'm in those rooms, especially when we yeah. talk about. Recently, I was in a discussion with a very large government uh, department, and we were we were arguing against the implementation of a particular rule. Yeah. And my gosh, yung mga businessmen, they would just be like, uh, yeah, we know that uh, in this is a public forum, and you're not against your your you have to say this, but we uh, know you're with us. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> in, like, say, they're trying to hint that there was a conversation that took yeah. place. This this here is uh, a courtesy. 
right? Uh-huh. But the conversation that needed to happen already occurred. And we're doing uh-huh. this to let everyone know we're doing something. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> Pero in terms also of yung, ano, yung organized lobbying, meron rin naman, syempre, you have the big corporate players, diba? Yung mga, you, everybody knows which, ano, which big companies these are. I'm not, I'm, we, I, I don't need to mention them anymore. Pero also in terms of yung, ano, yung sa, going back to yung sa issue ng sa bicycle lanes, these are just regular people with regular jobs or taking time out of their, ano, and they, alam mo yun, the effort required to find people, kasi ano parang um, getting an audience with the senator is hard enough in itself. So just just getting an audience with one of the staff, alam mo yun, yun mahirap, mahirap na yun eh. So ano yun eh, parang there's a, that's actually one of the reasons why I think ano, parang that flow of ideas from the outside to the inside is very limited. Kasi nga wala pa masyadong connections between the outside and the inside. And that's the road that I, that I kind of see in myself. I'm going to go back yung, to the work of John Kingdon and the Three Streams. Nasabi niya that there's a very specific kind of individual who manages to work across all of those three streams. He's called the policy entrepreneur. So basically, he looks at, okay, this is the problem. This is the solution. Okay, how do we pass this? Is it technically feasible? Is it financially feasible? Is it against the constitution? Is it politically feasible? Is it in line with the agenda of the people in power? And if it ticks all of those boxes, oh, sir, ma'am, ito, bam, bam, bam. And then it moves forward. Kasi ganun yung ginawa ko sana, eh. For example, yung sa bicycle lane, parang, okay, financially feasible, maybe not, bawasan natin to, blah, blah, blah. Technically, okay, constitution, okay. Okay, baka may political values. Okay, wala namang attack sa amin, blah blah blah. Okay, ma'am, ito amendment natin sa budget, 5 billion, tanggalin natin dito, lipat natin dito. We got we got funding for 5 billion for bike lanes. Really? It's just moving a little ink, you know. Hey. Uh, uh, it's ano, it's an it's it's about learning yung mga areas of the budget that will probably be wasted. <laughs> And on that, like, if if you were, say, for example, uh, talking to a concerned citizen who wanted to know how well the government was using its resources, uh, uh, where might where might you go for that kind of information? The first thing that they would need to understand is, meron kasi ng parang ano, di ba? There's certain kind of jargon involved in the budget process. It, it, it's very esoteric, and you really need to get into it. Parang taxation, di ba? May mga certain terms. Budget may ganon rin eh. Parang first and foremost, you have to know yung difference between an appropriation, an allocation, an, obliga- an obligation, and a disbursement. Alam mo difference between those four terms? No, you go, you go ahead. Ah, yeah, so, them up. Diba? Yeah, yeah. Appropriation, di ba? So, para <clears throat> sa treasury, right? So there's a treasury. So before that money is taken out of the treasury, kailangan ng authorization from Congress in the form of an appropriation law. So that's the process of an, of a, of an appropriation. You, that's why it's called the General Appropriations Act because every year. Nagkakaroon ng general authority na para, okay, for this agency, pwede ako kumuha ng this much from the treasury. Yan yung appropriation. And then allocation is when yung, pe- yung authorization is there na, and then yung DBA, ay, wait, tama ba? Ah, tama, yung DBM, nagsasabit ng documents yung mga, yung, mga, yung mga executive agencies to DBM, and the DBM says, okay, blah, blah, okay, mako, okay, okay, ito yung allocation mo. You, you are now authorized to enter into contracts. Yun yung allocation. Obligation is yung process of actually signing yung contract. Diba? So that's why pe- that's why that's why one of the measurements of um, budgetary efficiency in, gov- in, in, ano, in government is yung obligation rate kasi you're going to take the ratio of the amount that's obligated over the amount which is allocated to you by the agency. And then from obligation disbursement kasi diba may obligation na babayaron and disbursement. So again, that's another, that's another metric yung tinatawag na disbursement rate which can be measured in two ways. You can measure it as disbursement over allocation or disbursement over obligations. And all of that information on everything from appropriation to the, the four those four big the, those four big temples in the budget process. You can find that in the DBM actually. Um you need to look for yung statement of 
appropriations, obligations, and balances. It's on the DBM website. And you will basically see for every single agency, ito yung, ito na, yung nalabas nila for this quarter. And mak- makikita mo yung mga agents na, na mabilis maglabas. Makikita mo yung mga, yung mga, agents, yung mga agencies na medyo nahihirapan, usually DOTR, PWH. Parang um, year on year, I think those two agencies manage to spend around 60% of their budget. So 40% hindi nila, hindi nila, hindi nila nababayaran. <laughs> hindi nila nalabas yung pera. <laughs> okay, so that that speaks to perhaps something systemically wrong with yeah uh, systemic. Cakay yung ano rin yung tinatawag na absorptive capacity, the, the capacity of the government to take those funds and actually spend them. Because ang daming paperwork yun is in terms of the capacity of the departments. Um, syempre, and, of, and of course another another area that that people should really study is yung COA reports. I mean yun yung bane parang dumumure makita yung yung ability of the government to spend yung money that they have. Well, but then I thought the president said don't listen to COA. <laughs> ah, well, you know, it's just one guy. <laughs> Just one guy. <laughs> just one guy. No, Don't listen to him. <laughs> um, no, uh, stop flagging things. <laughs> yeah. Actually, oh, yun no. yung, you know that's one of the peculiarities of the budget process in in the in the in the in the Philippines compared to the U.S. Because yun yung in the U.S. yung authorization sa kayong kasi di ba di ba may steps yung budget process yung yung budget authorization by G ano budget authorization execution yada yada and then yung budget accountability. Yung dito kasi sa Pilipinas yung authorization at accountability and accountability steps are in separate institutions. Congress authorizes, but in terms of accountability, technically it's COA that's supposed to do that. In the US, in the US, technically yung accounting body is part of Congress, yung, G, yung government accounting office, part siya ng Congress, part official ng Congress. <laughs> so wait, so is that, state, is that, is that, like this is me interpreting now, is that an yeah. indictment of the, the system? Do you think it would work better if it was part of Congress? It's, it's a peculiar, well, and it reduces the power of Congress to to hold to hold the executive accountable for their spending. Because if the budget sa amin, the most we'll have is like the ano, yung, um, the the most that we'll have is yung full spending for two years before, and then yung current year up to up to this up to the second quarter. <laughs> so limited yung ano namin. So is that a possible reform in the system by which the government <clears throat> disperses money, or is, do you is that is that too much of a reach? Now? Am I making too many conclusions? Again, may trade offs ring kasi parang ano eh, parang do you really want Cong- to give Congress all of that power? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yung, yung which ano. it, which itself is a potent argument against. Yeah, one of the justifications to Marcos for martial law. Diba? There are too many debates in Congress for the budget. Ngayon, ako na lang mag-a-approve. May problema kayo, kabi ng second. Oh, sir, okay lang po kami. We're fine. We're completely fine with that. <laughs> Not really. Ano, there was a conversation. Hanapin mo yung, ano, yung my conversation dyan si Virata, I think. Si, si, si ano, Prime Minister Virata at the time na parang, when martial law was first that it was first declared the meeting marcos with the with the cabinet with the cabinet ministers do any of you have any problems with with, with what i did we have full control of the budget now no sir we're okay let's do this my god so okay we have full control okay that's fine i mean we'll just keep things running <laughs> This this while we're on the topic of like accountability as imposed yeah. by Congress, right? Yeah. Uh, inquiries in aid of legislation are something that uh, Congress Very has been Yes, yeah. which strict like uh, by design, they're not exactly. They're not criminal. Itself. They're not criminal procedures. Yes, uh, 
so like just for the benefit of the listeners, inquiries in aid of legislation is theoretically the way by which the different houses of Congress can apprise itself as to of matters that they should know to aid them in the legislative process. Uh, uh, But that is not in practice what happens. Yeah. And maybe you are the person to talk about what yeah. happened. Um again, and I, I, I remember I, I wrote this in the in the note that I sent to you. Now we have to go back to the to the definition of democracy of as a form of government in which people are held are held accountable through are held accountable through regular elections. And it gets to the core of that concept of accountability. Na parang if we're going to pursue that train of thought, na dapat wala ng Congress hearings, court cases na lang lahat. I mean, is that really a good way to pursue accountability? Because ano rin eh, there's an, there, there there are certain there are certain uh, there are certain statements made by, by the Supreme Court. Na parang Wait. yung ano ayat? Sorry. Do you mind if I if I just if I just stop you? Because yes. uh, I defined uh, what inquiries in aid of legislation are theoretically, but just for the benefit of the <clears throat> listeners, yes. in practice, what does it look like? Like, like, because yung nangyare, which is like the family. Uh, uh, you know, like, you have to go. You have to go back. There's, I can't remember which Supreme Court decision it was, but they discussed it really well. Na parang since democracy is a form of government in which people are held accountable through elections. They need information, diba? to know um, to know exactly how government is doing. And one of the ways is through public right to information through FOI, and the other way is through inquiries in aid of legislation. Because that's when the members of Congress can basically act as a kind of uh, parang public tribunal na parang, oh, ito, et, parang this is the money that was given to you. Ito yung nangyayari talaga. Because if you limit it entirely to the court process, not everybody has to, has access to the court process to hold people accountable. <clears throat> diba? Not everybody can file a case against this court and pursue it all the way to the Supreme Court. So in a way, diba? Then you see the you see where I'm coming from. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, yeah. So to your <clears throat> mind, like it's a permissible deviation from the statement of the purpose of inquiry in aid of legislation. Because uh, any total, <clears throat> may ginawa naman silang tama, parang ganon. And parang ano, um yes kasi technically inquiry ba inquiry in aid of legislation is supposed to be for legislation pero there's also the role of ano of oversight diba? <laughs> it's oversight by congress also tsaka ano rin naman nag nagana nag, may i can't remember yung yung decision ng supreme court but it's the one that that legislators always cite na parang um yes sinabi ng supreme court na parang yes technically it's in aid of legislation but it's still up to congress if if legislation comes out <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it's uh, was it the Blue Ribbon <coughs> Committee case or is it the Neri case? No, <laughs> no, no, no. Neri is ano? Neri is yung ano? Yung presidential Executive communication privilege. privilege. Yeah. No, yeah, no. Ermita yeah. lawyer ka di ba? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Ermita is executive <laughs> privilege. Neri is presidential communications privilege. The conversations between the president and, the, and his cabinet secretaries cannot. It's not subject to oversight. <laughs> di ba? Di ba? Actually, hey. ano? Di ba that goes back? And I, I remember I was looking at yung ano yung formally hearings and mm-hmm. I remember mini message ko yung isang staff nung ano nung nung, nung blue ribbon nakalala ko na parang you know ano yung the one thing that the hearing is missing is wala so far you haven't found anything to pin bigong the paper trail ends at young or the you sexy law or whatever but there's still nothing on bigong so if you really want to go to go to that line of questioning you do ask the nary questions did the president ask you did the president follow up or did, or did the president ask you to uh, to prioritize it those are the exact questions asked ask nary and if they if and if they invoke the nary the nary, the nary president what does that say about the government <laughs> yeah but, oh, but you know it's speculation and libel so <laughs> yeah. Well, no, it's not libel. I think this is, you know, uh, well, I think we're protected by New York versus Sullivan, naman. Don't worry yeah. about it. <laughs> I guess if you had advice for someone who's thinking about going into 
political uh, <clears throat> sorry into public policy yeah uh, what advice might you give them if you get the opportunity and you have the stomach for it yung parang alam mo yun, you really have the heart to pursue yung, yung when your goal is to actually you know do policy to make policy to make policy change happen go for it but at the same time i would advise them to read yung last chapter ng book ni Anthony Bourdain yung, yung kitchen confidential kasi that's basically yung what helped me survive those first couple of years and parang ano nangyari sa bansa to parang the best advice he gave us like get a sense of humor because you're gonna need it you're gonna see all kinds of injustice in the world get a fucking sense of humor <laughs> and you better learn to laugh at it Yeah. <laughs> And saka yung mga rin, yung mga tips yun, parang don't steal. Obviously, don't steal. Diba? If, you, if you're really in the government to change things, don't steal. Don't lie. <laughs> uh, don't, don't lie. Make excuses. Don't blame others for your mistakes. Be committed. <laughs> diba? Don't be half-hearted. Don't, parang don't half-ass anything. And of course, you know, a lot of injustice in, is in there that probably won't be addressed during during your time. So, alam mo yun, you need to find some kind of coping mechanism. Okay. This is the last question. This is the question yeah. I always cap the podcast on yeah. because it, it it like gives a preview into the mind of the person. The yeah. best, I think. Mm. Where do you see yourself in five years, man? Honestly, in five years, I I know I'd want to take a break from public from being in public policy per se. Um, mainly because one of the beliefs that I have is to not stay in power for too long. Don't get used to it. It's you do parang alam mo you're only there temporarily. You're you're warming the seat for someone else. And um if I, well I you know I want to take a masters but if I could somehow diba, I have a lot of stories and I have a lot of, I have I have a lot of experiences and if I could transfer that to other people maybe through teaching maybe through by setting up a, you know some kind of NGO or whatever or baka mag private sector then you know I would do that. <clears throat> well, you know, uh, I think because uh, we've we've been talking for quite a while now, but this podcast <clears throat> has been heavily informative and it really reveals a lot about Filipino politics. Yeah. Luke, thanks for coming so. on the podcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>